The following program is for informational and educational purposes only. This program does not replace medical, mental health, or psychological diagnosis and treatment prescribed by your personal physician, psychologist, therapist, or other health care provider. Please consult your provider for diagnosis and care before beginning or changing any program or idea discussed. Welcome to Tips to Keep You Healthy, Happy, and Motivated with host Kristen Harper. She's here to give you those extra tips that you don't always get from other health and wellness programs. Kristen has all the bases covered and just a bit more. Now, here is your host, Kristen Harper. Hello, everyone. Welcome to my radio show, Tips to Keep You Healthy, Happy, and Motivated. And today's episode is all about the attachment theory, how childhood affects life and health. My special guest for today is Gage uh, Tara, and she has been on my show in the past, and she has been using and teaching biofeedback since early 2002. I have been very impressed with her training. I do have my certifications in level one and level two uh, for quantum biofeedback, and I've been going through her trainings, and I'm very impressed with her. She's very intelligent and explains things very well, and I figured that she'd be a great guest to have on my show to talk about this really important topic. Uh, So we will be talking about what is the attachment theory. You will learn about this theory, which argues that a strong emotional and physical bond to one caregiver in our first years of life is critical to our development. We will talk about why is the attachment so important, especially in regards to health, how can health be improved for individuals that were insecurely attached in childhood, what are the stages of development, what are the three insecure attachment types, and so much more. And so, uh, Gage Terrence's website is mind, M-I-N. D-N-R-G.org. You can go there. She has a long bio, and I'll have her introduce herself here very soon. But I have some points that I'd like to uh, discuss here first. So basically, there's a video that I recommend you check out. I really liked it. It's called Attachment Theory, How Childhood Affects Life. It's by Sprouts. And basically, it reveals this information, very informative. The attachment theory argues that a strong emotional and physical bond to one primary caregiver in our first years of life is critical to our development. If our bonding is strong and we are securely attached, then we feel safe to explore the world. If our bond is weak, we feel insecurely attached. We are afraid to leave or explore a rather scary-looking world. Because we are not sure if we can return often, we then don't understand our own feelings. And there's a psychologist, his name is John Bowlby. He was the first to coin the term, this attachment theory. His work in the late 60s established that childhood development depended heavily upon a child's ability to form a strong relationship with at least one primary caregiver. And I'm really fascinated with this um, gentleman and his work. And I actually, there's like a lot of books on this topic, attachment theory, and I plan to buy a bunch of books because I like to learn as much as possible. And I I plan to read these books. And um, how the attachment style can be assessed, which can already be assessed by the age of one. 
is that you can put a child, uh, the child can play with the mother for a few minutes inside a room, and then the child is left alone. The key moment is the child's reaction when the mother returns. A securely attached child will actually hug their mother, then calm down and get back to playing. But there's other children that cannot stop crying or will refuse to continue to play. They are insecurely attached and they can become ambivalent and avoidant. And attachment formed in the very first years of our lives, a time when the child is too young to communicate our anxiety, which if there's like not a strong bond there, if a child is insecurely attached, then basically uh, the child uh, cannot communicate their anxiety, which results in high levels of stress. The adrenal glands produce the stress hormones which if this happens frequently is uh, toxic stress, which can impair development of a child's brain, that can weaken immune system, and there's other health imbalances. And also when the child grows up, like even into adulthood, I mean, adults can have health problems. I mean, this can affect health many decades later. And there's actual studies on this, which is really fascinating. And there's basically three insecure attachments. There's anxious, ambivalent, anxious, avoidant, anxious, disorganized. I'm not going to get into all the details here. You can always check out that video. But, uh, you know, for example, one type, there's a child's getting a lack of attention. The child is anxious, becomes clingy. And, I mean, it just goes on. There's another caregiver that could be very strict, angry, punitive, and the child um, wants to avoid fear. I mean, it just, and basically these types too, these types have poor self-image, which actually happened to me. So let me tell you about my story here. So uh, I feel that this, um, I was actually insecurely attached in childhood and it took me like so many years later in life to finally figure this out and I finally like put the pieces together so basically I remember I used to like cry out all the time when I was like in childhood for no reason just cry 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 and would act out Um, I also had adrenal fatigue which I already brought up the adrenal fatigue and how that occurs I had adrenal fatigue all the way back to childhood so it took me like I had adrenal fatigue for many years and didn't figure out I had adrenal fatigue until 2001 when I got my first hair analysis and I also had poor body image I ended up with an eating disorder when I was 18 years old that happened my senior year of high school I had my eating disorder for nine years and my elementary school teacher told my mother when I was in elementary school that your daughter, I know this, your daughter, when she gets older, she's going to have an eating disorder. I had limiting beliefs uh, held in my unconscious mind of I'm not good enough. Um, I've gone through a lot in my life. I have gone through uh, PTSD. I went through narcissistic abuse. I've I've had a very hard life. But what I have found over the years is you have to live a healthy lifestyle. You have to eat healthy, but you have to rebuild your adrenal glands, especially if you've gone through uh, PTSD. Uh, You have to rebuild your adrenal glands. You need the proper nutrients and supplements. I also feel that meditation really helped me as far as overcoming my eating disorder, to let go of my limiting beliefs, which I had. I had a limiting belief of I am fat, which um, caused my eating disorder, and also brings awareness into your life. And also, I have found 
so this is so effective is uh, brainwave entrainment. I feel is like the best as far as um, helping those with PTSD, um, helping with uh, letting go of limiting beliefs, bringing awareness into your life. And there's also a book that I love too. It's called Power of Now by Eckhart Tolle. He's a spiritual teacher. He's one of my favorite spiritual teachers. And that book really helped me. And actually, that book and meditation helped me to overcome my eating disorder. Uh, so now, enough about me. I uh, want to bring on my guest now, Gage Tarrant. Welcome to my radio show. Hello. Hi. How are you today, Gage? I'm excellent. Just a, a, another day in the life here. And uh, just wanted to uh, comment that um, our, our other website is instituteofstressciences.com, which is geared more towards the education that you've been uh, discussing. And everything that you have just brought up is uh, something that has been a, a very dramatic focus in especially my practice when I was um, just counseling and, and prior to um, having an online educational system and teaching out in the fields and seminar, but uh, it, it is one of the most elusive types of issues to identify because almost nobody remembers their infancy, which is the, the period you're talking about. Uh, the normative attachment theory is something uh, very active in the infancy stage of development. So this, this, this entire topic goes hand-in-hand hand with the stages of development as outlined by Eric Erickson. And that very first stage of development is when we're developing trust versus mistrust. And normative attachment theory is also something learned through cycles. And it's learned in a different way because our critical uh, components of mind are not active or formed yet in infancy. We're learning through uh, kinesthetic learning. Uh, We are learning through being held having our needs met, having regular cycles. All of these uh, kinesthetic learning uh, modes are something that can lead to a feeling of trust. Uh, the, the child experiences a need, or the infant, rather, ex- experiences a need, and then trust is, is developed because that need gets satisfied, be it hunger or crying out for diapers to be changed and discomfort, uh, being held regularly. So, so important. And when that stage of development is interrupted, especially through a shock trauma, you know, it, it can be either one event or a, a daily environment that can shape this this sense of trust versus mistrust. And, and where I got so fascinated with it was in my counseling practice prior to introducing biofeedback, our special form of biofeedback, uh, I was able to see elements of mistrust operative in a lot of my adult clients. That's not unusual. Uh, we probably all have areas where we might not trust as much as, as others. Uh, but there are definitely signs of certain people having this as a central issue in their life, that they are either blindly trusting everything in an, a subconscious attempt to get that need met or mistrustful of everything around them. You'll, you'll, you'll start to see extremes like that operating uh, in people's choices and their, the, their feeling and their uh, view of the world. It, it has a lot to do with deep subconscious uh, 
feelings of, of whether or not the world is a safe place. And so really trying to wrap my head around it, once I started to um, introduce the biofeedback into my practice, I actually saw through a panel that you're aware of, uh, Kristen, and for your listeners, uh, it's called Unconscious Reactivity, where we see certain ages and elements of ages reacted to with stress responses. And I started noting that there were a lot of my clients with trust issues reacting to those, to those early uh, infancy ages, even in gestation, which is another, a conversation for another day. But, you know, it, it begs the question, how, how do we address this? And, and I believe it has to go back to learning. What did we learn from these experiences? or not learn. Well, first of all, what was not learned was regularity, trust, security, safety, having your needs met so we can actually see some people's prosperity issues related to this uh, in an indirect way. Uh, but uh, I really wanted to address the best way to teach this to the clients because, you know, it became clear that the, that the, the problem was that they never learned it. This, this very exactly. essential element of our well-being. They didn't learn it. How do they learn it? And that's where an entire technique was born uh, that is in the next course. I don't think you have yet to take that, Kristen. You'll love it. You know, it's where uh, we actually do uh, a kinesthetic. Since we're learning kinesthetically, a lot of uh, what we're learning about this trust comes through the body of being held and nurtured and supported. All of those uh, feelings, you know, unlike other mammals, we're, we're born requiring care. It's the first thing we learn uh, is, that, is, is that feeling uh, of, of receiving nurturing. And it's not like we're horses that are born walking and can trot around mom. Uh, we have to be taken care of. And therefore, it's our first lesson. And I believe that that is more in keeping with um, our spiritual higher purpose. It's, it's the first thing we learn is how to receive care so that we can give care to the planet. And with that said, if, you're, if it's not learned on this nonverbal level, on this uh, deeply physical kinesthetic level, we have to teach it to them on that level. And so one of the ways that we address this is by having the client actually fall into our hands. They do turn around. Um, this is an exercise that a lot of actors engage in, by the way, uh, of people who uh, have to engage in stage combat, for example, where anything where there's trust required. Even some corporations, you know, do this with their teamwork building. Uh, is a falling exercise. Why falling? Well, we're born with two fears that are very primal, a fear of falling and a fear of loud noises. And, and typically other fears are learned, but those two are instinctual. And so when you have somebody turn their back to you uh, and fall back, almost nobody does it correctly the first time because it's so antithetical to, to our safety. We have a fear of falling. So we're, we're trying to get them to trust something that normally we would fear. So the very first time they fall back into your hands for you to push them back up again, they pretty much lean back. They don't do it. It takes a, a few times to get somebody to authentically start trusting this process and fall back. And there's video demonstrations of, of that in, in the courses, by the way. And once people 
actually let go and actually fall back into your hands. See, you know, you've removed one element of their, of their perception by doing that, and that is vision. By having them turn their back to you and fall back, they can't see what they're doing. They're literally flying blind and falling back into your hands. And that feeling of being caught and being pushed back up and being supported, it's astounding how many people, after they go through that, cry. They say, oh, my God, I've never felt this. And little tears fall. And in the video demonstration I did, which actually had, it was done with Jeremy, um, our um, webmaster extraordinaire. He and I like, I like him. And that, that's, oh, and, yeah, he's, uh, awesome. yeah, he's IT and I like him a lot. <laughs> he's awesome. But he, he even experienced some tears saying, wow, I've never felt that in their body. But you see, that's how we have to learn it. And our upper cognition, our, our neocortex, let's just call it the upper brain, the upper lobes of the brain, those aren't fully developed in an infant. Where, so, so where are they learning that? Uh, they're learning it through their nervous system, of course, and they're, they're learning it, you know, in their muscle memory, et cetera, even their hormonal memory and uh, how to generate uh, uh, hormones and neurotransmitters that are, uh, are in keeping with feelings of satisfaction and safety and feel-good hormones like serotonin, melatonin, et cetera. But, you know, I started thinking about it. You know, what brainwave state are, are infants in? You know, they're in, they're in, they're spend a lot of time napping and sleeping and growing. And that's the theta brainwave state. And so part of the technique is, is, is to getting the client to fall back into your hands and, and asking them, where do you feel that feeling of trust? Because I think that, you know, hopefully one day our science will catch up with what we know and we'll be able to measure the actual magnetic, electromagnetic field of that new feeling of, uh, that's being emanated from their body of feeling safe. Where do you feel that? And we try to capture that in an absorptive medium, and then we take that, we put it on the tray, and then we uh, measure the voltammetric analysis of it through our tray and import that into the matrix, and then what I do is take that signature and piggyback it onto uh, like sarcode homeopathy, lower brain dynamics, because that's where they were supposed to learn it and where they didn't, is in the lower brain. And so, you know, it's a, it's a process of entrainment. I mean, I see what we do with our special patented form of biofeedback as uh, being something that is an educational tool that is beyond uh, the words of the verbal mind, but rather a way of communicating on a kinesthetic level. And as such, we need to take great responsibility and care to communicate what needs to be learned in order to actually uh, fulfill some of the knowledge base, we were designed to grow up learning. We were designed to learn trust first thing. And guess, guess what that trust translates to on the spiritual level? That's faith. Well, um, Gage, you're so informative. I'm just really enjoying um, this conversation. You have so much knowledge and uh, Sorry, wisdom. I didn't mean to go on. No, 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 no. I just I find you so fascinating. Um, so, uh, listeners, we need to go to a quick break here, 
And we'll be back okay. here very shortly. This is Kristen Harper, radio show host. My show is Tips to Keep You Healthy, Happy, and Motivated on voiceamerica.com, on the Health and Wellness Channel, and also on CapitX. Please stay tuned, and we'll be back very soon. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. Kristen Harper is a health and wellness speaker and founder of Perfect Health Consulting Services. She inspires people all over the world to keep healthy, happy, and motivated. Get a virtual health coaching or hair mineral analysis package at perfecthealthconsultingservices.com to help you get healthy and stay healthy. Also, go to kristenharperspeaks.com to hire Kristen Harper, a health and wellness speaker, for one of your events. Be sure to visit both of Kristen's websites, perfecthealthconsultingservices.com and k-r-i-s-t-e-n harperspeaks.com. Now is the time to take your health to the next level and become the best version of yourself. Do you feel that you aren't at your best when it comes to your personal health? Even if your doctor gives you a clean bill of health and says everything is in working order, perhaps you aren't feeling at the top of your game. Dr. Rebecca Risk overcame pain and fatigue despite all tests to the contrary. Learn how she put her health back on track and how you can too on Falling Through the Cracks. Live every Monday at 9 a.m. Pacific Time, 12 noon Eastern Time on Voice America Health & Wellness. Opinions, options, answers. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. You're listening to Tips to Keep You Healthy, Happy, and Motivated with Kristen Harper. If you would like to connect with her, reach out via email to Kristen at kristenharperspeaks.com. That's K-R-I-S-T-E-N at kristenharperspeaks.com. Now, back to Tips to Keep You Healthy, Happy, and Motivated. We are back. This is Kristen Harper, radio show host. My show is Tips to Keep You Healthy, Happy, and Motivated on voiceamerica.com on the Health and Wellness channel and also on CampNX. My special guest is Gage Tarot, and we've been talking about the attachment theory, how childhood affects health, and life. And um, so I told you about my personal story earlier. And yes, I've gone through a lot of hardship in my life. Yes, there has been individuals that have hurt me. But there comes a time when you have to learn forgiveness. I think that's important. And I also feel if you like if there's a person that doesn't want to forgive, I feel like what can really help with that is brainwave entrainment, you get to the point when you start balancing your brainwaves, uh, balancing your brain, your nervous system, it's uh, easier to forgive. Um, and also, I feel like when you go through hardship, there's a reason for it. And so when I went through all this hardship in my life and had a lot of health challenges, I feel like there was a reason for all of it because my goal is one day to become a natural physician. So I feel like that's my life's purpose. So maybe there was a reason for all this. I had to go through all this hardship so that I would be effective as a naturopathic physician one day in the future. And that's my goal one day. But uh, so uh, Gage Tarrant, um, she is, uh, has been teaching qu- quantum biofeedback for many years. And so Gage, would you be able to 
uh, talk a little bit more about quantum biofeedback. And we've talked about it before. I don't really want you to get into it too much because I really want to focus on this attachment theory. But just briefly, can you talk a little bit more about what it is, especially for some listeners that don't know what it is at all? Do you be able to just... Yeah, well, it, it, actually, we, um, we pretty much call it EPR biofeedback now, uh, but it's it was known in its earlier days as quantum biofeedback. And what is um, so interesting about it is that it is comprised of a database of electrical shapes, okay? Very rich electrical shapes, way beyond frequency. We're talking about the voltammetric analysis of substances and their corresponding electrical shapes. They're, they're very unique. And once you send these signatures, these voltammetric shapes, and we have a vast database of over 11,000 of them, we see what the client responds to with a stress response. That could either be eustress, positive stress, I like that, or distress. Ooh, I don't like that. That, that, that was, uh, that's a negative reaction, and it's really causing me, that, whatever that shape is, it's causing me a lot of stress. And uh, in this way, we bypass the conscious verbal mind and interface directly with the nervous system that is, is, is being driven by the subconscious mind. I'm a, I, I agree with the late, great Candace Pert, who said your body is your subconscious mind, that the, our entire nervous system is uh, hooked into and reflective of our belief systems. And what causes us stress or distress is something that we can see a very interesting profile of through our patented form of biofeedback. It's, it's different than uh, just classical biofeedback. We know that. Uh, it seemed to be the, the one category it fit the closest in, so that's how the regulators regulated it. But it's very unique. And once, in addition to seeing what the stress responses are to a lot of these different signatures, we can take those signatures and send it right back to the client in a way that, in a nonverbal way, mimics validation. It mimics learning. It's a form of communication. I love it. It's fascinating. Oh, it's one of the the most. Um, uh, this technology is something that I've never ever experienced in my life until just I don't know how long it's been now that I've been a practitioner, but I've never seen anything like this in my life. It's I love it so much. I, I use it every single day. It's there's yeah. I don't think there's anything else out in the world like it. Honestly, there isn't, and I mean, there's a lot of frequency-based medicine out there, but the, this is totally unique, and it uh, its design is uh, in keeping with a, a very deep nonverbal communication with the superconscious mind, and the way it's structured, just by de- its design, makes the subconscious much safer in expressing truth, and that ties back into uh, the topic of, of this show which is normative attachment theory, which leads to feelings of trust versus mistrust. And it's why in our field, you will hear this more than any other field. Somebody somebody who will introduce a sentence with with the following words, I've never told anybody this, but... And then they'll tell you something they've never told anybody. There's something about the trust and safety of, of the validation that comes back from the communication style that is anesthetic with, with this technology. And it's safe. It's simply don't even feel it. But these shapes are very precise. And it creates 
a type of validation in the subconscious mind to speak its truth through biofeedback reactivity. And it's, like you said, it's fascinating. There's nothing else like it. Mm-hmm. So, Gage, you and I talked uh, before the show, and it seems like you were also affected in regards to this uh, attachment. Would you be able to talk about your story? No. Would, would you be able to talk about the attachment? Because I know that you were affected as far as um, oh, your, yeah. pers- with your personal story. Sure, I don't mind sharing my personal story. Um, it happened with the biofeedback. I kept reacting to age one, and, uh, of course, you're aware we have another uh, panel that is based on biofeedback reactivity that's very uh, specific to um, a, uh, something called the German New Medicine Model a bit that's based on shock traumas. And I kept reacting to something uh, that was very specific, and it was about... You know, a mother breaking, you know, the mother broke, here's an, it's, it's often metaphoric, but it was, it kept saying that my mother had broken her leg. And I called, this is while my mother was alive, I called her up, I said, listen, I'm just getting to know this technology. This is back in the early 2000s. I keep reacting to the same thing out of, out of this very vast database. I keep reacting uh, to, to this one shock trauma that is, that corresponds to something similar of breaking your leg. So, did you? And she said, yes, and you watched it, and you were an infant. Because um, I don't remember. Who remembers your first, the events of your first year of life? Most people don't. Yeah, I don't. And yet, yeah. and, I don't and yet through biofeedback reactivity, I, I, my subconscious mind, in my opinion, is, which is driving your body electric stress reactivity, it kept pointing to an unresolved concern surrounding infancy and watching the mother break her leg. And it turns out it was true. And when we see something happen to our mother, let's go back to this idea of a primary caregiver. That's your lifeline. You know, when you're, like I said, we're not like horses. We aren't born walking. We are born and we require care. To survive, and that's, in my opinion, by divine design. I happen to believe that 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 we are designed to learn how to receive nurturing, so that we can give it. Because that's that's the deepest form of knowledge is having known what it is to receive care. We therefore know how to give it, and it is very traumatic for an infant uh, to see something happen to the mother especially because of breastfeeding, but either of the parents, if, the, if the, there is a shared uh, caregiving type of, of assignment of duties within a married couple, then that can also easily be experienced if, some, if, if the child witnesses something happen to the dad. Uh, you see something happen to your lifeline, and you don't have words to express that. It's experienced as... Something life-threatening. It's a shock trauma, and, and the whole key to it is that it's unanticipated. It, it's got to be by surprise. Uh, uh, anticipated traumas don't have the same impact as unanticipated ones. And so when, when you try to place that within a context within normative attachment theory, uh, cycles do matter, and isolated events do matter, but this one did stay with me for a long time, uh, obviously. It was, it was somehow unresolved. 
uh, in a way that affected my ability to trust. And so that is my story. Now, we, now I've seen many clients, of course, who have had something that was more irregular, maybe less, less uh, dramatic, as what I just described, watching your, your mother fall down, break her leg, etc. Maybe less dramatic, but on a more regular type of uh, daily occurrence, such as a loud, clamorous environment, hearing uh, uh, parents fight, hearing um, violence in your shots in your neighborhood. I mean, there's all kinds of things that, that could impact the stage of development, inter- therefore interfering with a feeling of trust because it's always going to elicit a fight-or-flight uh, response. And if it's a shock, then there's a risk that, that the child is just going to build it into their subconscious script that the world is shocking, right? There's going to be unanticipated shocks throughout life. That was another thing that I had to kind of rewire within my whole nervous system a bit. You know, some of that's beyond our control, but some of it is kind of built into us and what we attract, I believe. So, fascinating work. It's fascinating work. And and, and in my opinion, the best way to address these matters is to build positive new information into your nervous system. To It's a form of learning to teach that. That's why you're, you're, I mentioned, I heard during your uh, story, Kristen, that you were saying that meditation helped you. Well, that's, that's basically learning a state of bliss that's calm and peaceful and sustained that may not have been the norm for you growing up, that feeling of peace. Uh-huh, uh-huh. And, so, and so it's a form of learning. Every time we meditate and reach those deep states of relaxation, we are, n- number one, more receptive to positive new information, but we're, we're returning back to a center point balance that may not have been taught to us uh, in an ideal way. And very, very few of us had a perfectly ideal childhood, but we are resilient for the most part. We are resilient. We have lots of sources of positive input in our lives, but I'm telling you that the, that, that first year of infancy is so important in terms of... of Deep subconscious, we call them beliefs, but even that sounds cognitive. It's, it's, it's a feeling. It's a feeling of, is this world safe or not? And it's powerful. It can inform the rest of your beliefs. The, and Gage, this just came to my mind right now because there's a lot of books on attachment theory. Also, if people are interested, you have those courses available as well. And it, these courses are amazing that Gage has. And they I appreciate they're geared for biofeedback practitioners, but I need to make uh, I, I need to make some courses for the general public. Well, yeah. well, Gage, Gage, this just came to my mind right now because I mean, if um, parenting is so important, if it's not done right, people can be affected for years, like their Absolutely. health. I mean, and so it's, it's so important. I was just thinking, like, man, it would be so cool to have some type of training or some kind of like education for parents to teach them how important these. <sighs> early well, years and, and are. It exists. It, it exists. It's just that a lot of people don't know it's out there. I mean, uh, they, don't, they don't know to search YouTube for uh, uh, normative True. attachment parenting skills. You know, they don't, even, they don't even know what to search for. And some of them are so overwhelmed, young, young parents are so overwhelmed 
that uh, they don't even have time to search for it. So uh, almost everybody, you know, it's, it's, you've experienced uh, my training online, which is effective, but I used to, uh, before that, I was uh, traveling the world teaching these courses all over the world. And especially on this subject matter, everybody, and there's always a mix of, of practitioners in the room, from medical doctors all the way to Reiki practitioners and everything in between. And everybody said the same thing. Why weren't we taught about the stages of development, like, say, yes. in high school? Why didn't exactly. why we taught this? Exactly. Yes. Because uh, you can do something about it. Uh, you know, let's take the next stage of development, for example. I know that the topic of this, this show is about normative attachment theory in infancy, but the next stage of development, early childhood, is all about autonomy. There's a lot of interruptions to autonomy that impact people as adults in their ability to attain success and do things on their own and later on initiate things. I mean, it's... Almost all of these stages of development are something that we can revisit, refine, and try to learn in a better way that works in, with our goals, and, and that's how we work. It's more of in a context of, of general self-improvement, but this is dramatic general self-improvement. It impacts a lot of different areas of life. And it also affects our spirituality and our spiritual understanding because I believe that that is um, really the design behind our stages of development is to learn this as a spiritual positive force on the planet. But that's conversation for another day. Okay, so um, we have another quick break here, Gage. We'll be back here very soon. Listeners, please uh, stay tuned here, and we'll be back. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. Kristen Harper is a health and wellness speaker and founder of Perfect Health Consulting Services. She inspires people all over the world to keep healthy, happy, and motivated. Get a virtual health coaching or hair mineral analysis package at perfecthealthconsultingservices.com to help you get healthy and stay healthy. Also, go to kristenharperspeaks.com to hire Kristen Harper, a health and wellness speaker, for one of your events. Be sure to visit both of Kristen's websites, perfecthealthconsultingservices.com and k-r-i-s-t-e-n harperspeaks.com. Now is the time to take your health to the next level and become the best version of yourself. Are you ready to live to 100? Join Dr. Joe Casciani and his program that shows us that age is just a number. You can age with fresh and inspiring perspectives, whether it's staying physically fit or keeping mentally fit. With great stories, plenty of advice about successful aging, and brighter outlooks, you just might join those who are living to 100. The Living to 100 Club is broadcast live every Friday at 2 p.m. Pacific Time and 5 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Opinions, options, answers. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. You're listening. 
listening to Tips to Keep You Healthy, Happy, and Motivated with Kristen Harper. If you would like to connect with her, reach out via email to Kristen at KristenHarperSpeaks.com. That's K-R-I-S-T-E-N at KristenHarperSpeaks.com. Now, back to Tips to Keep You Healthy, Happy, and Motivated. back this is Kristen Harper radio show host my show is tips to keep you healthy happy and motivated on voiceamerica.com on the health and wellness channel also on Kip and X today's episode is all about the attachment theory how childhood affects health and life and my special guest is Gage Tarrant and she's an expert in quantum biofeedback uh, she's been using this sophisticated technology for many years as well as she's a teacher and so, uh, Gage, since my show is all about health and wellness, I would love to focus on health now. And if you could uh, give some examples, would be great. But let's say that uh, those individuals who are insecurely attached in childhood, how can this affect their health later on in life? Is there any examples that you could give? Well, sure. This is what I wrote. My, you know, I integrated into my action action research uh, proposal for my master's in education was tying this into ACEs, which is adverse childhood events, and yes. counting ACEs. And uh, the science is clear: is that some of these adverse childhood events uh, definitely lead to predictable health problems later in life. And the nature of some of the adverse childhood events can actually affect the health in a very specific way. And another place where, at least with our technology, where we see it is biofeedback reactivity to, on, uh, on a panel called the C-scan, where we look for the, con- the active conflict scan. And we see a uh, stress reactivity pointing towards what needs to be addressed. And, you know, that, that is something that... I believe you and all of your readers would be very interested in the, in the German new medicine model. Now, of course, Dr. Geert Hammer, uh, may he rest in peace, he got in a little bit of trouble because he was actually using it as the foundation of a treatment paradigm, and so that always rocks the boat a little bit, and uh, he experienced some uh, interruption to his practice regarding that. However, uh, the biological basis for certain emotional stress patterns is clear. And, uh, you know, who loves it the most are our biologists, and we have a lot of biologists in our field. And as much as they want to buy into the emotions and impacting health, this tied it in for them because it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a biological basis in terms of tissue layer that responds to trauma, okay? Emergencies, stress, shocks. There are uh, certain types of shock traumas that are more reactive on certain tissue layers that correspond to certain types of, for example, um, either non-cancerous diseases or specific types of cancer. It's fascinating. And uh, the, the sooner that you can resolve these active conflicts and stop experiencing these uh, stress reactivity patterns inside your body. It could uh, just be a low-grade uh, type of anxiety or fear or belief that occurs through this, this shock trauma. But the sooner you resolve them, uh, the easier your body has a chance to recover from it and return to those blissful states you were speaking of in your meditation. 
right? Yes. Where we deliberately, through intention, relax our physical bodies and uh, maintain a certain, in my opinion, vibrational pattern as well. And that is, is something we can learn how to do. But getting very specific about where you need to do it is what we're about. And, um, you know, in a non-diagnostic way, but in a way that's very meaningful and profound. But, yeah, it's, it's predictable. I mean, it, it, it's no secret that uh, the more adverse childhood events you have, and that can be a, a single isolated event, like what we were talking about with the shock traumas, or it could be uh, something that is prolonged. Like, for example, having one of your parents with a, a, a substance abuse issue or is an alcoholic or depressed even, if one of your parents is depressed even, that can count as an adverse childhood event. Or it could be that one of the parents was removed, either through separation, divorce, or incarcerated. Those count as adverse childhood events too, and depending on the timing of when they occurred, definitely can have an impact on the child's stage of development. That's in formation at the time of that uh, removal of one of the parents could also be through death. So uh, all of these things uh, can lead to behaviors. You know, now something about your story captured my attention, Kristen, if you don't mind my saying so. But when you shared your story, you shared that an elementary school teacher told your mother that you would have an eating disorder later on. Yes. Much of that do you think was predictive? I mean, how much of that do you think was by suggestion? Because, I mean, there, there's one thing we know. It's just the subconscious mind will believe what it's told if it comes from the right authority figure. Hmm. What do you think about that? Um, I, I mean, basically... Um when I, when I finally figured out this attachment theory and I finally, like, put the pieces together, what, what I feel overall is that when I had the poor body image, I really felt like overall it came probably when I was, I, I was insecurely attached probably around, I don't even know, I don't know if it was one, two, I have no idea, but I feel like that insecurely attachment led to, later on in life, poor body image. So how right. I, how, how, how image, I was... But also seeking satisfaction, correct? One of the ways we get satisfaction is through having our needs met by eating or being fed, which is interesting. And the thing is, is I don't remember the details of my childhood too well. That's the problem. And most people don't. They don't. That's most people don't. So, so young, you know? why I love the biofeedback reactivity. We can take a certain theme and kind of search it against a little subset of signatures and they often unfold a story that is in some way deeply meaningful for the client uh, to where we could place some of the learning techniques we do through deep relaxation and such uh, within a more specific context. So that's, that's, that's where it becomes a really valuable tool that gets so specific, right? Yeah, and I, I was kind of like interested in this because I was talking about the three insecure uh, attachments. There's anxious, ambivalent, anxious, avoidant, anxious, disorganized. And basically right. all, all of these um, can lead to poor self-image. So it's, yeah. 
it's it's fascinating, you know. And I just feel like even like the poor self image, the poor body image is so common today. Just, just think about uh, even all these females that have eating disorders or people that don't don't feel good about themselves, and it's like so common. It is common. I think that there's a number of contributing factors, though. Wouldn't you agree? You know, unrealistic images in uh, magazines and advertisements and, uh, you know, a, a type of slow conditioning of, of uh, you know, what we should uh, be expected to look like, which isn't necessarily what authentic beauty really is. That's so true. Okay. And, Gage, and Gage, I'm glad you brought that up because that's actually what I felt like uh, contributed to my eating disorder because I used to when I was young, like I told you my eating disorder started when I was 18 years old, I used to look at magazines and I noticed the thin models and that influenced right. me and then all of a sudden I had this uh, limiting belief in my unconscious mind, I am fat and then I realized through meditation that limiting belief came up to conscious awareness and I realized that was a limiting belief that uh, caused my eating disorder. But then when I start doing research and finally figured out this attachment theory, I, I, I'm starting to wonder about like, okay, is this all leading all the way back to childhood now because I had poor body image and then I had issues in childhood with crying and everything else. So it, I, I do know that the advertising affected me in a negative way, but then also my elementary school teacher knew that I was going to have an eating disorder when I got older. So I don't know if my How childhood... How did she know that, though? She, she didn't know that. She predicted that. Uh, I, 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 that. That might have been a, a suggestion uh, that subconsciously validated your plate, which was um, a, a lack of feeling of, of having a stability or safety in your world or having your needs met. Um, there's, there's often an underlying meta-message underneath some of these eating concerns, trust concerns. And that is, uh, you know, are my needs met? Am I am also, am I satiated? Am I satisfied? And when there are not feelings of satisfaction, uh, sometimes we will attempt to be subconsciously driven towards things that are, are designed to give us satisfaction, but with this underlying belief that we're never satisfied and uh, therefore it's, it's very unsuccessful. So, you know, eating a giant gallon of ice cream might be temporary, but ultimately, was it satisfying in the long run? No. The, the underlying needs were not met, which was a feeling of safety and trust in being loved. Being loved. Being loved. That's, that's beautiful. Careful. That's beautiful. And I had another limiting belief for many years. I think this probably started in childhood, too. I am not good enough. Well, and, and what's underneath that? You know, it comes down to this very, very basic premise of, are we loved? You know, and, and when we don't feel yes. loved by the people that, on this spiritual, contractual level, um, basically are there to provide us with love, if we don't feel that, there is a tendency for, especially children, to blame themselves and say, mm -hmm. I am not worthy. There's something in us that knows we are supposed to be loved. And if we are not, there is a tendency with children to blame themselves and take on these uh, larger base beliefs that can result in other little branches of that belief. Like imagine it as the trunk of a tree that says, I am not lovable. 
well, that branches out into, I am not worthy, I am not uh, beautiful, I am not, you fill in the blank. I mean, it's, it's, it basically is the basis for the formation of a lot of other beliefs that really go back to that central feeling of, am I loved? What is this love thing? What is this? How is this so central to who we are? What is it truly about? And it's, it's, that's when we start to get into the nature of spiritual truth and spiritual awareness through higher states of consciousness and being able to see through a filter of love in everything we do. Yes. So true. So true. Okay. So uh, it's all about, especially in childhood, it's all about uh, love and safety and it, those that have been affected um, by uh, like being um, insecurely attached, uh, there's hope for you because people can get well. There's ways to get healthy um, and balance uh, mind, body, spirit. There is a way. And, uh, and so, to learn that love. And to learn and to, that love. Ex- exactly. And so, Gage, we're at the end of my show. Do you have a quick comment here for my listeners before I let you go? Well, if anybody tuned in uh, to this uh, topic because it's of interest to, uh, to you, I think what, what Kristen just said is the best final message. There is hope. There are uh, effective techniques that are precise and can address exactly what you need to learn in order to fill those voids, those, those gaps in your life that leave you longing uh, for a state of love and satisfaction. Well, thanks, uh, Gage, for coming on my show. I always enjoy talking to you, and hopefully one of these days I'll be able to meet you after we get through this. Uh, oh, absolutely. All, all, all the our events. And once, once we're able to get out of the house I know, and the COVID-19 thing, uh, you uh, know, I'll, I'll do something close to you in California or somewhere, and you can uh, come to a class and look forward to meeting you too. But I get to know everybody online anyway, and uh, it's always a pleasure, and I'm, I'm here to come on whenever you find a a topic you think would be great to have me on for. I'm here. Okay, thank you, Gage. You take care. You too. Thanks for having me on. Have a great day. You too. Bye-bye. And okay, listeners, bye-bye. this is uh, Kristen Harper, radio show host. My show is Tips to Keep You Healthy, Happy, and Motivated. I would love to hear from you, so if you could please send me an email to Kristen, K-R-I-S-T-E-N, at kristenharperspeaks.com. Let me know what health and wellness topics that you would like to hear in the future. Uh, my speaking website, I'm a health and wellness speaker, Kristen, K-R-I-S-T-E-N, harperspeaks.com. You can go there. Also, I have a, another website, perfecthealthconsultingservices.com. I offer hair analysis, brainwave, and training quantum biofeedback and nest health which is basically a natural approach to getting healthy if you could give this show a five stars on itunes would really appreciate it if you would like to uh, make a donation uh, to this show would really appreciate it so we can get the truth out to people and continue to spread the message of natural health you can make a donation at paypal to kristen at perfecthealthconsultingservices.com I do have an office in Tempe, Arizona that was recently open, so I can work with clients locally in Tempe. You can just book an appointment on my website at perfecthealthconsultingservices.com. I also offer services remotely as well, and I recently was interviewed on the New Mind Creator podcast talking about health and wellness, the unconscious mind, and uh, much more. So you can find that all over social media on my Facebook, uh, Twitter, LinkedIn, Wishing all of you a healthy and happy week. Take care. 
for being a part of the show this week. Tips to keep you healthy, happy, and motivated with your host, Kristen Harper, can be heard live every Tuesday at 6 p.m. Eastern Time and 3 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel.